2: Welcome to it. Great to be back with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you. A lot of football to get into. Some thoughts from Ty Robinson in his meeting with the media yesterday. Bill O'Brien, it's not good to scream at J.J. Watt, as we have come to find out. Plenty of thoughts from Mike Babcock and Mike Schuhart this hour. Brad Edwards going to talk some college football with us. Next hour, and our dear old friend L. Kent Walgamon from the Journal Star uh, is Mr. Van Halen Insider. As uh, the great Eddie Van Halen passing away, cancer sucks. Yes, it does. And Eddie Van Halen is now uh, teaching harp lessons up in heaven. So we'll get to the inside on the early days of Van Halen with El Kent, who I believe shared a tour bus or two with them. Numbers can get in 466 5865 can find us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal and always email Chris at HaleVarsity.com Elijah, Elijah lets you know uh, during his incredible work uh, that I was out and as to why I was out. My uh, father my heart and soul uh, passed away a week ago today. Uh, Steve Schmidt, uh, Joe Papa, as he's referred to by the grandkids, and there's other nicknames out there that are, uh, are legendary and cloaked in uh, late 70s football road trips to wherever they road tripped to and pillaged poor big eight towns and taverns. I smile when I think about my dad. Because of of what he uh, meant to me. And I smile because of what I think about my dad with what he gave me. Gave me a strong faith. That's how he raised me. And he also gave me a love for football. He gave me a love for football because at a young, young age, that's what he was into. That's what he got me into. And he did his very best from a support standpoint to say, go chase it, man. Go go do broadcasting go to radio you're ugly so stay away from a camera and I will support you I will be straight with you and I will let you do that Uh, I will support your endeavors in that when it comes to interning and being hooked up with the right people that's the Bill Dolmans that's the Gary Sharps that's the John Baylors that is Rick Alloway, That's a thousand people uh, that I've been able to to be around. That's Jack Arute. That's a lot of folks that I got to at least observe greatness at some point in my career with how they did it. And my father allowed that uh, starting back in 1998 when it came to my career. So I love him dearly. I will miss him dearly. It will not be the same without him this football season, but I know where he's at and I know he'll be watching. So I love you, Dad. And uh, that's where I've been. He uh, had a uh, heart incident um, on on Sunday, the 27th. Uh, Brian Medical uh, is incredible. Uh, Fire rescue, uh, fire department, police were incredible. And we got uh, a couple extra days with Dad, thanks to skilled people and and, and incredible people uh, in in Lincoln. Uh, and he passed the thirtieth. We had a, a great send off and service at Christ Lutheran on Monday. So love you much. Let's get to some football because there's no Kleenex in here. And while I'm not opposed to wiping tears or snot on my shirt, it's not very. Covid appropriate yeah we, we do have wet wipes in here um <sighs> that'll burn your eyes i
0: hear um d- uh will this morning did the most incredible deep clean i've ever he did, seen man he took the power washer to your studio i didn't know some of these things were dirty i assume they're just kind of how they looked until they've been deep clean and now they're just like <laughs> they're shining they're beautiful man
2: that studio uh is well it's cleaner than this studio i'll just i'll just leave that there you, you see that that cup of coffee um the white one the white mug yeah that's been there for a week and a half <laughs> yeah it doesn't have our name on it And I, I, there's, I also some, it, but. there's also some food containers here by the lysol if you're hungry <laughs> so let's get into some football here and uh, we'll spend some time with mike babcock shortly and don't forget some pga thoughts from Shui coming up. Uh, Interesting article in the Journal Star, and what I mean by interesting is just a a good thought process by by what's going on at Kansas State. All right, Chris Kleiman uh, wins eight games, bang. He gets a year added to his contract. That is, hey, we love you. Here's a benchmark that we think is attainable, but we're not taking for granted. Here's a reward. And North Dakota State to K-State, uh, You're your 2-0 against Oklahoma. Pretty impressive for K-State because they always used to either hit or miss or be pretty favorable under Snyder for most of the most of the time. And, and their niche was JUCO. And what K-State's doing is just that. Six wins this year means an automatic contract extension by a year for Kleiman. And you get to a bowl game. And, and Sip wrote about this, so I want to give him credit on that. But the question was posed, how would that fly over or, or, or be taken if you're a Nebraska fan, getting rewarded for eight wins if you're Scott Frost? Put, put this situation in Nebraska's shoes in, in, if you're Bill Moose. And listen, I'm pretty clear-cut on, on expectations for Nebraska. I think that, and I, I believe this, because you've been good before, or because you've been great before means you can be good and great again. What we need to discuss is consistency, okay? Because that's been that's been the problem, and and you, you've not had consistency in big games. All right, and it, it's not about winning all of the big games. It takes a special coach, team, run, season. All right, what we're seeing with Dabo is, is greatness, and Dabo's got a little T.O. in him in the fact he does not lose coordinators. All right, Milt and Charlie and George and Frank, I mean, all those guys were there for the long haul. Decade plus, some of them two decades. They were incredible. They all could have been head coaches somewhere. You kept your staff. They were incredible. They were rock star assistant coaches. That's what Dabo's got. And Dabo recruits, and Dabo's fantastic at management, and he's the figurehead. Not that he can't call a defense or call an offense, but he has phenomenal people to delegate to. I uh, look at Nick Saban in Alabama. He has uh, recruited incredibly well. He has done it with... Massive amounts of turnover. Everybody he has worked with or hired has either been plucked or hired, and he's got somebody in waiting. That's, that's what he's turned to. Where, well, all right, Sark, we're going to put you as an offensive assistant uh, analyst, and then when Lane gets hired away to be a head coach, you're going to jump in and, and fill that spot. So Saban's done it at an amazingly high level at two different spots, and he's lost coordinators along the way, and he still keeps on trucking. He's seven steps ahead because he's tweaking after a one-loss season. How do I make my offense and my defense better? He has got just incredible athletes and hybrid guys on both sides of the ball, and he's cornered the market in first-round NFL wide receivers, starting with Julio Jones. That was his big get. Let's go get the number one high school player in America. And let's show kids that we're gonna play pro style and throw deep. And then let's tweak things up and get a mobile quarterback because that's how I've lost two games in five years, is through Cam and Johnny football. Okay. So let's go get a tua a type kid or or a Hertz type guy, right? You've seen a switch from the old let's hand off to a Heisman winning running back to let's go get a playmaker at quarterback to go along with our sick front seven in our in our incredible secondary. So there's Dabo, there's Sabin. There's And then there's Ohio State that, let's be honest, they should have won a lot more with John Cooper. They didn't. That's 25 years ago with all these first-round Hall of Famers. You get uh, Trestle, who kind of locked down the state of Ohio. They started beating Michigan again. And then you upgrade with Urban, where you're printing defensive line first-round talent because you go higher away uh, an incredible defensive line coach uh, from Penn State. All right. That that was that was key. Urban Urban's been that way as well. He's had incredible assistance as well. But those are your kind of your your three top programs. Then there's everybody else. So we talk about expectations for Nebraska as I circle back. I'm I'm at the point right now where if you're at seven, eight or nine, and if you're Scott Frost, that's fine. You don't gotta win them all, but you gotta compete in them all. That is the essence here of the consistency we're talking about it's not that people were pissed Bo won nine games it's how bad he lost the four games it's not people that were ticked off that well frank's only winning nine or ten games it's how frank would lose those two or three and who'd they lose to it'd be to kansas state or texas or oklahoma by the way they were all competing or winning championships in that era okay it's no different, it's just that they're now in your league opposed during the Osborne era, you're going down to the Orange Bowl and losing to Miami or Florida State, okay? So when I look at Frost and his expectation, Frost has a, a different situa- situation than anyone that's preceded him. He's got a worse, not now, but when he took over, a worse situation than anybody in the last four or five hires, Okay. Tom to Frank, good luck maintaining. <laughs> okay, uh, Frank to Bill. You had some talent there. They won some games. Callahan to Bo. You had some issues with getting Nebraska with with Billy C, but damn, did he recruit well! And Bo took that and was great with it, and was was right there. And then you yeah, had the administrative change, and then from Bo. To, to Grandpa Mike, I mean, Grandpa Mike should have won a lot more games than he did, especially the first two years with some of the bowl holdovers. We're talking the Malik's, uh, Vincent Valentine's, th- those type of guys on the line of scrimmage. Okay, what what Scott inherited was a a shift in culture, a different type of player that was recruited. And I don't know, not everybody that was recruited by Coach Riley was was soft mentally. I'm not I'm not broad brushing that. But I think he had a lot of Pac twelve brought to, to the Big Ten. That may work on New Year's Day once a year in the Rose Bowl. Then work week in, week out with a Pac twelve mentality, day in, day out in Big Ten play. So Scott's gotta get guys right and, and 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 beefed up physically and then mentally. And then listen, man, there isn't any week off in the Big Ten. There just isn't. Pick, a, pick, pick the worst team. Okay, Rutgers, say it with me, it's Rutgers. Rutgers isn't that far removed from an eight or nine win season, right? I mean, it's within a, 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 a four-year window, okay? So to me, when I look at seven to nine wins in a normal college football season, I'm good with that. I don't want anything done to jeopardize who you've got as head coach and what he has as a staff Because why disrupt any momentum and build? Because he's got a build or a renovation, whatever you want to call it, unlike anybody else that's preceded him. I truly, truly believe that. And I think he'll be okay. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll start winning games. I think they're going to start winning the games that matter. And I think they're going to start winning the games that they're supposed to win. And I think you're going to see fewer losses, right? Because that's also what ticks you off about Nebraska right now. You're losing games. You feel as a program, you're superior than this other hack team that's on the same field with you, and that's not the case. Everyone's kind of caught up. What type of distance can you recruit? Can you can you create now uh, with uh, with Scott Frost, Nebraska football in a very tough West, a very balanced West, and the monster that is the East. The East can be knocked off by teams that are at the same level or. Probably recruit worse than you do. Typically, if we're talking on paper, right? I mean, Purdue's beating a big dog in the East. Iowa's beating a big dog in the East. Wisconsin's beating a big dog in the East. Minnesota just beat a big dog in the East. And that was year three of uh, Mr. Row Your Boat. So it it can be done. But week in, week out, it is just hell trying to win and survive in the Big Ten. It It just is, right? Look at LSU and Mississippi State. I mean, that wasn't supposed to happen. Right is is loaded. The, it does because there's no week off in the SEC either. And then look at Arkansas versus Mississippi State. That exactly, wasn't supposed to happen either. Exactly. People are good everywhere. Okay, it, it just may not show up nine and three every year. So back to this expectation and bar we're talking about. Pick a number and grant a automatic extension. I'd be fine with it. And as a Nebraska fan, I think you've I and, mean, you know, you can sound off. I'm not trying to tell you how to feel. I think as a Nebraska fan, you've been humbled a little bit over the years. I know as a guy who you know, grew up watching games, I've been humbled versus my expectations. If you put a fan hat on for a little bit, just to kind of a different whole new world. And granted, it's been a 10-year ride in the Big Ten. It's It's just different and super competitive each week. I think you're gonna you're gonna get a chance at Nebraska to to someday take down some of the Ohio States, beat the Michigans, get the Penn States. I think you can absolutely do that. But your your good season is gonna be eight and four, nine and three if you're competitive in all your losses, okay? In your great season, even the greats, even the playoff Spartan team. Lost to lowly Nebraska, the five and seven Nebraska. This kind of highlights the point. Mike Babcock's next. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Brad Edwards coming up, and uh, we'll check in with him on some college football a little bit after five thirty. Elken Walgamont. Chat about Eddie Van Halen. Mike Babcock is in halevarsity and magazine at mdbabs on Twitter. Babber's big Van Halen guy or just casual Van Halen guy?
3: Um, casual, I guess. Um, maybe a little. Maybe a look cut above that level.
2: Okay. Is Jump your tune, or are you more of a Panama guy?
3: Yeah. No. No. Jump. Jump is. Uh, I think of uh, Cubs baseball when I hear that.
2: Okay, tell me why.
3: Um, because I think on WGN when they used to have the Cubs games, I think that's that's what they came into. Ah, with uh, now that sounds familiar.
2: Uh, now that yeah, I think about it?
3: it, maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering that, but uh, <laughs> I do that every once in a while uh, these days. But uh, no, I think that that's what I think of uh, when I hear uh, hear jump. But yeah, I, I've got uh, I've got that uh, I've got some CDs.
2: Okay. Same here. That's that's a that's a good start. Some some Van Halen CDs to get it fired up. Babbers, we were talking expectations with Nebraska, similar to, to what K State's doing with Kleiman and, and rolling him over a year when he hits that in, in this season a six win plateau, an automatic year added, uh normal years, eight years, uh eight wins in a in a bowl game. And you know, when we talk about expectations for Nebraska I'm I'm in that that seven to, to nine window, but I realize just that it isn't. It's always hard, and, and others have made it look easy. Is kind of my main takeaway with just Nebraska's historical success with Devaney and Osborne, and I think Coach Frost and Nebraska can absolutely get there. And other teams in the West have shown the ability to flip it around, but this league is just. It's just murder week in week out for the most part. You know what? What are your takeaways here with uh, with expectations and a win total uh, moving forward with Nebraska football? And as you take the pulse of the fans, what have you been able to gauge at all?
3: Yeah, you know, you know, you're right, Smitty. It's all to me. It's all about context Mm -hmm. and. You know, I think of another song, uh, Dan Hickson, his hot licks, uh, Show Me the Money. <laughs> and in the middle of the song, he stops and he says, you probably think this is easy. It's not. It's not. Thank you. And then he resumes his song. Um, it's not easy. And that's the thing. Uh, you have to consider the, the context. The Big Ten, I think, has been a, a bigger challenge for Nebraska than people would have expected, um, for one thing for another thing you you think about the the uh and it's a little bit different than Kansas state because you know the new coach but but you still have the context of of a conference that you're more familiar with mm-hmm. and teams have been uh built to compete in that conference. Nebraska I think you know as long as it's been in the Big 10 even so Nebraska is still finding its way because if you um now to be nationally Relevant to the degree that Nebraska once was, I, I don't. That's not going to happen. But first of all, it, it, it's a process. The first step is you got to you got to be uh, establish yourself in the West Division of the conference. Um, second, second of all, you have to be able to establish yourself as a team that can win that conference in a championship game, and then the next thing is um, you have to be able to. Uh, uh, convince enough people that right now that you're good enough to be one of those four teams to be in a playoff. And that's a whole different process than when Nebraska was winning national championships when initially it meant, you know, winning the conference and then having enough respect nationally in the polls to be in a position where you could play for a championship but it wasn't you know, there was no national championship game that you were shooting for, and then, um, you know, at the end there of uh, Osborne's run, you had to win the uh, uh, the Big Twelve title uh, to be in a position to do that. Although uh, uh, Frank had a team that uh, mm-hmm. didn't win the conference and and still played the uh, number one team, Miami, and that uh, that was not a not a good situation. That was a really good Miami team, but. It's it, it's so much different now than what it once was, and I think fan expectations are still based on what the mentality was 20 years ago. I mean, um, yeah, I think you got a you got a nice range there, seven to nine wins, because it, it's it's tough, and uh, and and again, it's difficult when you have to establish yourself first before you can just. Go off and say, "Well, you got to win uh, ten games, and or eleven games, or twelve games, or whatever, and and get to the national playoffs." It's it's just a whole different thing.
2: I look at the Big Ten teams that have gotten in, and even the teams that have won it in the Big Ten, and that's just during the playoff era. It's it's, it's been Ohio State, and you've had either Ohio State get there or lose to Clemson, right? or it was Sparty who got dismantled by, you know, what was an air quote down Alabama team, right? Mm-hmm. And even that, as incredible as Michigan State was, who was their one loss to? It was to little 4-8 and eight Nebraska, or, or excuse me, 4-7 uh, and seven Nebraska, right? Back in 2015. I mean, that, yeah. that just speaks to the depth of the league. I mean, if, if we're talking, look at Ohio State, who they've lost to. And I'm not like throwing shade on Iowa, but you know, a six and seven Purdue team is what kept Ohio State out of a playoff a couple of years ago. So that just that just speaks to how deep the water is to me in the Big Ten. And you're a thousand percent right about the process, how it shifted, where all right, Nebraska's still got name value, respect. And if they win ten, eleven games, they'll they'll be part of the conversation. You've also got the success frost had with Central Florida. I mean, so he's kind of shown that on a big stage pre-Nebraska, he can, he can do work, either what he did at Oregon or Central Florida. So Nebraska is not forgotten, even though they've not been recently in the discussion point at all for a playoff, let alone a, a bowl game. But it's interesting to see, just the steps you got to take because that that's a pretty involved process. You got to go win your non-con game, which is probably in Oklahoma or Colorado or whoever Nebraska's scheduled, which they've scheduled pretty aggressively here the next few years. And then survive Iowa Wisconsin, split at worst, right with one of them, and hope to knock off your good crossover and then probably see him again in Indianapolis and drill him there just to be part of a playoff or a New Year's Day six. That's a lot of steps, Mike.
3: Well, yeah, and you can't, you know, really, realistically, you're not going to split with Iowa and Wisconsin if you want to be in that position. You're going to have to beat them both. Right. Um, you're going to have to roll right through.
2: Or get some help.
3: It, it, it's almost, perfection is almost demanded here. I mean, you're, you're kind of on the, on the edge there. If you've got one loss, when it gets down to it, when the selection starts and i and i I'm being redundant here but i think that the uh, social media age has magnified things so that now the success that Clemson has the success that Alabama has or whatever is magnified by social media which then affects recruiting which then affects what kinds of players you're bringing in and it it's, it's again it's such a different kind of a thing um, you know something uh, Osborne and the walk-on program, and, and I'm being redundant here again, but, you know, the walk-ons were an important part of what he was able to do. It's much more difficult to get those walk-ons now because those kids are, uh, you get exposure through social media. You get an opportunity. Maybe it isn't at the at the major college level, but you get a scholarship offer. It's harder to get those kids. And now in the Big Ten, you know, with the, uh, what we got. we need clarification here, uh, I think what Scott Frost said, but 170 testing, um, and that includes uh, some support personnel, assistant coaches or whatever, uh, that's going to hurt your walk-on program because you're not going to be able to have as many walk-ons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, there are so many things that are different now um, that, that Scott Frost is, is having to deal with. Um, that then Then when you add to it the expectations – um, everything just gets magnified.
0: Mike, the big news out of yesterday was Luke Reimer, uh, who earned a scholarship. He was a walk on last year from Lincoln North Star. And do you think that he's proving that Scott Frost and his walk on program is already paying dividends for this Nebraska football team?
3: Well, yeah, I think you know, I you know that's a good example. You can find other examples, but yeah, I, I think he's been a very impressive uh, player, and I, you know, I'm I'm excited to see him. You know, it's it's. It it happens every fall, I guess, or you know, or beyond when it ordinarily happens. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're we're reading about uh, a walk on player that's establishing himself, and you know, isn't this going to be exciting to see him get on the field? And it sounds like he's really uh, made established himself in in the rotation. But um, yeah, I th- I think it speaks well for the walk on program. But again, that's a it's a much different kind of situation now. Um, than it once was, because there are a lot more schools coming in here, um, looking for those guys, and and uh, and they're ha- and guys are having opportunities to go places and on, on scholarship. It's more expensive to go to school, and and uh, gosh, it's just a it's a whole different thing. And the Big Ten, again, as I said, uh, doesn't seem to be all that. Uh, Uh, walk-on friendly when you look at some numbers type things
2: Mike Babcock's with us from Hale Varsity Babbers about a minute a thought here uh, with the walk-on numbers and the emphasis on tackling that was a focal point yesterday with the media session Uh, as much as Nebraska's been going live do you think they can be better tackling that's the hope but do you think the practice will make perfect and pay off here early on in the year
3: well, I'm I'm right where you were with the statement. That's the hope. I mean you've gotta be able to do that because again you know, the Big Ten is a in the West Division, you gotta be able to stop the run. Mm-hmm. You gotta be physical and if you don't if you're if you're not making tackles when you make the initial hit, um, you're gonna have problems. So yeah, that that's that's my hope. Um, and, and looking at things is that you've got to be able to do that. That That's a fundamental that is really important to what Nebraska needs to do in order to be successful in the West Division, which is step one in the process.
2: Love this, Mike. It was good to get caught up and spend a few minutes talking ball. Soon enough, it'll be kickoff. Thanks for the time today.
3: Sorry about your dad, Smitty.
2: Oh, love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate yep. it. Mike Babcock's with us. ALVarsity.com and Magazine, a reminder, 70% of fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt. Take care of yourself. Buckle up. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash buckling up brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Love Mike Babcock. Appreciate him much. Great stuff on football. Shuey on the way. Mike Shoeart Wilderness Ridge, next.
1: And now And now back to
2: Hale Varsity Radio You know that is uh, a scene, not only the jump video of David Lee Roth jumping off and showing off his vert, but if I'm actually on target with my uh, T-shot and I hit it with all my umph, maybe it sends some people jumping off the green that's that's a dream but never hit into anybody that's rule number one we say hi to mike Schuhart, wilderness ridge golf Shuey, what's up you have got a week of golf weather brother how are you
4: i'm doing good man how about this weather this is incredible
2: it is go see Shuey and play an afternoon round week no correct?
4: kidding you have to get out and play 85 degrees in october what's up
2: well, uh, my my uh, my my putting numbers is going to be what's up. <laughs> but, hey, that's all right. That means I'm out. But uh, we're a, we're a right. week away Friday from, from another road show out at Wilderness, man, on the 16th.
4: I know. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, it's going to be awesome to sit down with you and, and check out those fall colors and a lot of golf to get into. I want to stick with Van Halen for a second. Were you a, a big Van Halen guy?
4: Oh, yeah. Got to love Van Halen.
2: The uh, the uh, the passing of of Eddie Van Halen is is sad, but uh, was that did did you have a sports card? Did you crank up the old cassette?
4: Oh yeah, I had a uh, uh, El Camino, oh. <laughs> and I had a Monte Carlo. Nice, the Monte Carlo that was that was the one it had a it had a cassette in it. That's for sure. Popped <laughs> in that cassette, cranked her up. Drove <laughs> to the golf tournament. So how about that?
2: So, did you roll into the parking lot uh, with the El Camino uh, and and jump cranked on the uh, the tape cassette while folks are trying to putt and chip?
4: I did actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did. <laughs>
2: That's all good. Just pop the collar when you get out, and you're good, man. I love That's it. Right. <laughs> well, talk to me here about the Shriners Hospitals for Children open in Vegas. It's TPC course. I know that uh, Finau is is out due to COVID. That sucks. I love watching Tony Finau play, but as you look at, at the field and you look at the, the the tournament here, what are some initial thoughts? I know we're, we're still a ways away from Augusta, but man, uh, folks are going to be gearing up for that. And uh, what impresses you about uh, Summerlin in Vegas? That course.
4: Uh, it's a it's a beautiful golf course. I mean, if if the wind's not blowing. They'll go really low on it. They do every year. Um, kind of a deserty type golf course. It, the wind is its defense. So if they get a pretty calm week, they'll go really low. If the wind gets blowing pretty hard, then there's some really tricky shots out there trying to control your ball in the wind. But that's kind of like I said, the defense of the golf course is kind of the wind. So it's all going to depend on how much the wind is blowing or not.
2: Who do you like right now as as guys are trying to gear up for Augusta? Who are some of the players that, some of the obvious, but maybe some of the not-so-obvious that you think can hone their game, sharpen their game between now and mid-November?
5: Yeah,
4: some of the obvious ones is like a Rory, mm-hmm. you know. He's played so well there. Had a chance to win a few times, kind of gave it away, so... He's won. Um, then you got your young guns like Matthew Wolf has had a fabulous year. Uh, Victor Hovland, uh, Abraham Answer, some of those guys that are kind of your young guys that are coming up that have really played well, you know. So it's going to be interesting, you know, and and especially the Masters playing that time of the year. It's going to be so different. I mean, it's never been played there. So I, I listened and I read an article about. Mm-hmm it being just totally brown like a month ago. So they went in and they overseed it with rye. Rye grass grows really fast and like bright green. So now it's just beautiful. But just a totally different time of the year. So it'll be interesting to see if the golf course plays uh, completely different than when it, you know, is normally played, which I'm assuming it would.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I, I have not done my research on Augusta, Georgia in November. It's, Warmer than Lincoln, warmer than Kearney, warmer than Columbus, I get it, <laughs> but it it I mean it can't be as sticky or thick down there at that time, can it I mean is it gonna is it gonna help your your the the ball travel down there it, it can get cold
4: that time of year down there man they can, you can have you know frost delays. I would not be surprised if they had frost delays I mean it can get down in the you know mid thirties that time of the year just all depends, you know, so it's going to be, it's just going to be so different and interesting on what's going to happen. Um, You know, I could see it. I could see having frost delays in the morning. I could see them teeing off when it's, you know, 35 to 40 degrees. Um, So it's, it's just, it's, again, it's going to be fascinating to see because it's never been played that time of the year. So, and just how the golf course plays.
2: Should we get to switch gears to football before we end with golf? Mike Schuart's with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Go find Shuey out at Wilderness, and it's a beautiful week of golf opportunity for you with sunshine and perfect uh, warm fall golf. But let's talk a little bit here about ne- Nebraska football and different media sessions here the last couple of days. And I know Coach uh, Super Mario will be chatting with the media tomorrow. And I'm excited about the quarterback spot. With uh, with Luke and and of course Adrian having a bounce back, but uh, defensive line I want to go there, and is, is Ty Robinson one of the guys you're you're pretty excited about seeing? Didn't see a lot last year, but what we did see was impressive, especially as young as he is. Do you have a good feeling that the D line could be could be better or? At least on that right path, could you see a kind of a throwback defensive group this season?
4: No question. I mean, he's he's got you know big ten caliber written all over him. You know, he he's built himself up. He's a big boy. You know, he comes in with a lot of accolades. You know, and it looks he looks the part, and he showed the part last year. Now it's like I just think he needs enough reps underneath his belt to to get super comfortable and kind of do what it looks like he's going to be able to do. I'm super excited about him. There's some other guys, too, that are that I think are going to step up and be pretty good. You know, uh, what's he, Keem Green?
2: Yeah, Keem's the, the Juco kid that I think's got the playbook down and, you know what, could be could be ready. I mean, it, it is a shock to, to come in and do you know the playbook and are you um, – are you conditioned, right? Are you are you able to go yeah. four snaps or fourteen?
4: Yeah. I think that was his issue before is he couldn't go long enough. Mm-hmm. You know. Hopefully he's gotten a little bit better at that. And then, you know, Ben Stilley. I mean that dude he looks like he should be all defensive player of the year. Now <laughs> yeah. can he can he actually produce you know, it's like I just every year I keep waiting for that guy to break out, and it's like I don't know why he doesn't. I mean, he's he's got all the things you need to be really good. It's like just he doesn't seem to be able to get it done. So I don't know. Hopefully, he has a breakout year too. You know, if you get some guys to step up and get comfortable, I mean, you could. I, I I'm not worried about that position at all.
2: Well, they could unleash a little bit of surprise and a little bit of fury. And it's been a long time coming. Mike Shuart Wilderness Ridge. Shuey about 10 seconds. When can folks come find you, bud? Man,
4: anytime. I mean, I'm here all every day, all day. As long as the weather's nice, I'm here. So come see me anytime. Give me a holler. Get you fit. Give you a lesson. So just get you playing golf.
2: Love that. Schuart, we'll talk soon. Thanks, bud.
4: All right. Thank you.
1: And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
6: Yes! That's awesome!
2: Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's hear a couple of thoughts here from Ty Robinson. And uh, we'll get more in-depth into that. Uh, Brad Edwards is going to check in on college football. In about ten minutes, Hail uh, Magazine and dot com get subscribed. Uh, amazing price points for the magazine and website when you bundle. Get that uh, precious uh, premium content. Eight five five three Husker Hail com backslash subscribe. So this was interesting, and Earl Buddy Mitch Sherman asked this question uh, when it comes to Ty Robinson cut nine here uh, Elijah about his awakening. And we we've said, look, Ty Robinson showed some flashes last year, didn't burn a shirt doing it, but it got him introduced to what it's going to take in the Big Ten, and Mitch asked him about that, the carryover from what you learned last year to the weight room in the offseason to who you open up with. I mean, it's a great comment here by Ty Robinson on just the application process that you need in the Big Ten and really a, a sound approach with, uh, with what he wants to do and who they're facing.
6: It's been good. Uh, I mean, we've been able to get tackles. Um, it's great to get, hear a pop again instead of just, you know, tagging off. Um, but, I mean, there, there is competition, but I feel like everybody just wants to see everybody succeed, and so we just want to put the best guys in there for the, for the right time. And so whoever that may be, we're okay with it as long as they get the job done.
2: So he's talking about competition and tackling, which is sweet. That was a piss poor setup by me. Uh, cut 10 here. More from Mitch asking Ty Robinson the question about the awakening. But great thoughts on tackling, by the way.
6: It, it just kind of taught me that you got to step up to the plate whether you're ready or not. I'm um, just going to kind of throw yourself in there. Um, but I mean, with knowing this stuff, it's either you're ready or not. Um, I feel like I've progressed enough from last year to this year to where I can at least do my part of the job. Um, I don't, Hopefully well, but uh, I can feel like I can produce for this team just a little bit more than last year. Does it sharpen your focus to see Ohio State and Wisconsin in week one and two? I mean, you could say yeah, but at the end of the day, they're just another football team, another great football team, um, and we're still going to prepare the same way we prepare for every team. So, um, going with that, um, I guess, if the hype's there, the hype's there. If it's not, it's not. We're still going to play uh, football.
2: Love that answer, man. Love that answer. And if you're a Nebraska fan, look, can respect uh, everybody, fear nobody, that type of mantra. And uh, I thought that was impressive. It's been a while since I, I have heard from Ty Robinson. I mean, we talked to him with recruiting, obviously. But, Uh, Looking for him, we'll we'll have more from Ty Robinson on Casey Rodgers. I mean, that could be a really good duo for Nebraska, stopping the run and getting after the quarterback. So things to to look forward to next hour, more from Ty Robinson. A lot of college football, big weekend of action. Of course, Texas, Oklahoma. As things are heating up in both spots for both coaches, <laughs> it's been a it's been an hour one of expectations and both those guys for the Red River not living up to to their expectations if you ask them their own personal expectations and some opportunity in the SEC and some more thoughts on the Big Red. Brad Edwards coming up. Elken Walgamot. We'll talk Eddie Van Halen next hour. Hail Varsity Hour two on the way. Welcome to it into our to a tail varsity radio presented by the Nebraska lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Coming up. Uh, we'll talk with Elkin Walgamon. spent time on tour with Van Halen is uh, the great Eddie Van Halen uh, passing away. We welcome in Brad Edwards, college football insider with ESPN college game day at J Brad Edwards on Twitter's where you find him. Brad, great to talk to you again. We're uh Getting geared up for another big weekend of college football. How you doing?
5: Oh, I'm I'm doing okay. And uh, yeah, the uh, the Eddie Van Halen thing was uh, was big yesterday for anyone who uh, who grew up in the in the 80s. Um, I, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine anyone who tried to uh, to play guitar <laughs> in the uh, in the 80s or, or even the early 90s who wasn't in some way influenced by him and, uh, and and also just kind of in awe of what he was able to do so um, yeah that was one I had to introduce my daughter uh, to him last night on YouTube and uh, she had her her jaw open uh, or dropped you know as as she was watching first of all, I was amazed at what he could do on the guitar second was amazed that he would play that long you know because kids today hmm. are not used to songs lasting much more than three and a half minutes sure so uh the fact that the fact that he could have the attention span to play guitar for that long is impressive to
2: her. did you uh did you have a a i'm gonna learn guitar and 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 be like eddie phase
5: no i i didn't um in fact i was in college before i even attempted to uh to try to learn how to play guitar and even then it was only <laughs> acoustic i was never really Interested in electric, uh, sure. but uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I I messed around with it enough that I can watch those videos and look at his fingers and just I, I can't comprehend how someone can do that.
2: That's pretty cool. Now he was he was a good time man and makes me smile thinking of uh, all the fun I had listening to Van Halen. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah,
5: yeah. Let me let me say this. Uh-huh. I, I am I would assume I'm in the minority. I'm not sure how big. Uh, of a minority, it is of people who actually liked Van Halen better with Sammy Hagar than with David Lee Roth. Oh,
2: I'm a Diamond Dave guy.
5: <laughs> okay, so, yeah. see, see, I, I, I was I was never crazy about. I liked some of their songs, but I I was not crazy about the David Lee Roth.
2: Well, and and I was talking to Elijah here. Elijah's younger than I am, and the way he was introduced to hot for the teacher was the varsity blues scene where it's the English teacher on stage. Oh.
5: Yeah. Different generation, uh-huh. right? Like,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they,
5: they get, there's so many, so many covers of these songs now that I'm, I'm really amazed my kids, how many like 80 songs they know. And most of them they know because of, because of covers or because of movies that these songs have ended up in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so a lot of times I'll, I'll reference a song and I'm like, I know you don't know this because you're too young. And then they know the song and I'm like, how have you ever heard this song before? But that's how.
0: Yeah, uh, the first time I heard of David Lee Roth, actually, uh, was that stupid Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. Okay. And it's okay. like David Lee Roth yeah. lights the yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was yeah. like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> so yeah. let me Google. The, uh,
2: no, David Lee Roth was, was the 80s, brother. Uh, he was he was crazy. Yeah. Let's get into some football, and this was fun to talk music for a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on, uh, well, Nebraska's gearing up here a couple weeks yet till uh, Ohio State with uh, the Big Red heading to Columbus and all those cutouts at in, in Buckeye Stadium. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty intrigued about some of the young guys with the defensive line for Nebraska. Uh, also, the quarterback spot is, is deeper, but offensive line's also a, 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 you know, a position of strength, we think, for Nebraska. But, Brad, you've seen a lot of wide receivers uh, around the country, and you've seen a lot of places kind of jumpstart offenses in their program. Uh, and, and I think of programs that may have been dormant or, or struggling with consistency, find success. And I think of Nick Saban and, and Julio Jones, right? That was his first big bet yeah, when he yeah. got to Bama. But just spend a second here on on what you think uh, a, a enhanced wide receiver room couldn't do, where you, you have dudes and playmakers and, and athletes in those skill spots how it can really stress different defenses in the Big Ten.
5: Well, that's where I think it starts in today's college football is with the passing game. I I think you'd have to be hiding under a rock to not recognize that we've gotten to a point where today, as as much as us old-timers love to say defense (laughs) wins championships, and I'm not saying defense isn't important even when you get to a national championship game, but I think we've now gotten to the point where the very best defenses in the country – Cannot keep up with the very best offenses, and you know e- even games like that. Well, look, last year Clemson mm-hmm. was arguably the best defense in the country. If it wasn't them, it was probably uh, Georgia. Sure. And those two teams both played LSU late in the season, and LSU wiped the field with both of them. So I mean that, and look, every every year there's not a Joe Burrow, but offenses just keep getting better and better overall, and and, and on the offensive side it has shifted from being able to run the ball to being able to throw the ball that makes an offense much more dangerous. And as much as as we look at offensive lines and we want to see these big guys just pancake people and open up holes big enough to drive a truck through, the truth is what adds the most value to an offense is for an offensive line to be able to give the quarterback plenty of time to throw. I mean, as long as you've got a quarterback good enough and receivers good enough, you are going to do a lot more damage by having time to throw than you are by opening up holes to run through. And that's just the facts, you know, that you can, you can get 75 yards a lot faster on a pass than, than you can running the ball. And I don't just mean by the stopwatch. I mean, you're going to, if you look at the number of, of explosive plays in college football, way more of them are going to come from pass plays than they are from run plays. And so That's a long way of just getting to the point that I I think that if you're going to be elite and especially offensively elite in college football today, you need a really good quarterback and you need playmakers that he can throw the ball to. And uh, and so if if I were you know kind of in a general manager role or or given a a job of head coach and told to build a program. I'm going to start with the quarterback, obviously, and then the next thing I'm going to look for are receivers. And then, by the way, the next thing I'm going to look for after that are DBs who can cover those receivers.
2: You're absolutely right, and there's a lot of hype, and um, there's a lot of uh, excitement for the, the the group that Nebraska has coming in at wide receiver. Of course, Wandale Robinson uh, had a really good freshman year, but he's got he, he's going to have some help with him. It sounds like uh, splitting out for for Adrian uh, to throw the ball to or or whoever, but Scott Frost really loaded up on the receiver room. Omar Manning's a name that man the world wanted. He ended up going to JUCO, left uh, TCU, and we're excited to see him do some things uh, in 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 red uh, for Nebraska home and away. Uh, I thought, yeah,
5: now, Chris, here, here's the downside, by the way. Yes. The downside to opening up with Ohio State, just based on what I've seen over the first, I those, don't know, what it is, five weeks those now. defensive backs? <laughs> well, no, the downside of opening up with Ohio State is that the teams that we expected to be the best, uh, along with Ohio State, Clemson and Alabama, mm-hmm. offensively have started the season exactly where they left off last year you know, that, that uh, we've seen other teams that have kind of struggled out of the gate, but the ones that had a, a quarterback who had some experience and, you know, have explosive receivers and you just kind of knew their pass game was going to be tough to stop, those have all been, you know, everything that you expect them to be, like right out of the gate. And so that's the concern. As much as you might look at, a okay, Georgia first half against Arkansas, and you kind of hope for that, well, the truth of the matter is, Georgia started a, a freshman who had never played a college football game. He didn't look good and they ended up going to a walk-on who basically just kind of played the role of game manager for the, for the rest of it. And, and, and you're obviously not getting that with Justin Fields in Ohio State. So <laughs> no, you're that's, not. The, that's the unfortunate thing is that as many teams as there have been that have looked, you know, sluggish and rusty and whatever in their first game, the ones that, that we kind of expected to have the best offenses were not among them.
2: You're right. They are coming back loaded up. So it is going to be uh, an amazingly difficult task for the Nebraska defense and and we'll see if it can be a a shootout. I want to go to Clemson here and as we look at this weekend here where are you at with Miami? I mean they've got a quarterback for the first time in a while. Uh, Miami seems to be doing okay. There's there's a, a smaller number next to their name. We've seen this movie before. Is it a Is it a more competitive contest, or is Clemson just going to do Clemson things this weekend?
5: I think Clemson's probably going to do Clemson things because this is the first time in maybe four years, um, it's at least three, that there's been a conference game that people have actually circled for Clemson and said, you know what, they could get a test here. Mm. And and I, I think it's an opportunity for Clemson to instead of just you know be the game that everyone else is circled, they can circle one themselves and say, okay, this is this is a chance for us to you know to 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 stand up and show what we got, and maybe to you know make fools out of the people who this week are going to say they think Miami has a chance and all that stuff. And so uh, to to have a motivated Clemson team in a conference game, it just it just feels like a bad spot for Miami. And I think some people may have been uh, a little bit encouraged by what they saw from Virginia last week, being able to move the ball at times against Clemson and figure, hey, you know what, Miami's got a better offense than than Virginia does. So maybe they can do it. I I think if there are two things that would give Miami a chance of hanging in there, one is that they have a a quarterback who has great mobility and that Clemson is going to – they're going to get through the line of scrimmage and they're going to get pressure on everyone's quarterback who they face. And if you've got a guy who's capable of dodging some of that pressure and then making something out of nothing, um, it's going to give you a chance to create some points where most teams wouldn't have gotten any against Clemson. And then on the other side, if if Miami does have a strength defensively, I would say that it's probably their pass rush. And maybe if you can get some pressure on Trevor Lawrence, you could get their passing game uh, off schedule and, uh, the, the unfortunate thing for Miami is that, you know, when you get these situations and you, you, you go to the blueprint of how do you pull a big upset, it always starts with talking about, you know, winning the turnover battle. And, and Miami has been great at forcing turnovers. Like the, the turnover chain thing isn't all hype, they actually have the third most turnovers forced in the FBS since the turnover chain began in 2017. The problem is Trevor Lawrence hasn't thrown an interception in about a year. Okay, and their first team offense hasn't turned the ball over this season. So you figure, you know, Miami's best case is they might be able to force two turnovers. More than likely one would be an accomplishment. And so they're gonna have to earn it elsewhere and that's just it's not gonna be easy to do.
0: Brad, I saw an article which compared this Miami-Clemson game uh, to the Louisville-Clemson game when Lamar Jackson was still quarterback at Louisville. Louisville fell just short at the end, but they gave him a real test, maybe the last real test that they've faced in the regular season. Uh, Do you think that Miami could do something similar uh, just to what Louisville was able to accomplish and giving Clemson at least a scare?
5: I think people are latching on to that game because of what Lamar Jackson was able to do as far as the dual threat, and they look at De'Ara King and they – that the game that I would compare it more to would be when Clemson went to Louisville the following year Uh, I was there at that game and it was one that that because of what had happened the previous year everyone said oh yeah this is gonna be a good game this is gonna be a test for Clemson and and this is this is like I was saying earlier they have Clemson's attention okay and that's not always a good thing Clemson wiped Louisville off the field Lamar Jackson's last year Um, and so as, as much as I, I, I Derek King is good enough to be in a game like this and to hold his own. My question is, does he have enough offensive teammates who are, and does he have enough defensive teammates who are?
2: Brad, a, a quick thought here. Got a couple of minutes. How big a weekend is it for Jimbo Fisher? Florida comes to town.
5: Yeah, I think it's big for. Proving that his program is on the right track. I don't think it's big for his job because you know, he's got all that guaranteed right. money. He's not going anywhere. But um, if you know, when when he first came in and everybody expected that, okay, he's gonna he's gonna get them in contention in the SEC West. Obviously, that starts with being competitive against Alabama. Uh, you're not going to beat Alabama very often when Saban's there. But if you can at least be competitive with, like what Georgia's done under Kirby Smart. They have taken Alabama to the wire twice, and they'll get Alabama again next week, and we'll see how they do with that one. But Georgia has shown on the field that there is not much of a difference between them and Alabama. A&M has not come close to that under Jimbo Fisher. Hmm. So this is a chance to show that, okay, maybe we're not at Alabama's level, but a team that's a notch down from Alabama talent-wise. And look, based on recruiting rankings, you could make the argument that A&M should have more talent than Florida does. So this is a, a, a much fairer fight, and uh, if they if they well first of all if they lose their fans are going to be upset, but especially if it 's not close, there' are going to be a lot of people just kind of uh, selling their Jimbo Fisher stock, I guess would be the best way to put it
2: Bill O'Brien, does he end up back in college about thirty seconds
5: i, I don't know I, I don't know him well enough to know how important it would be for him to you know to, to prove himself in the NFL or whether he 's had enough and and uh, would rather go back, you know. I mean, that, that's what happened with Saban. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that Saban got run out of Miami, but, but Saban coached in the NFL just a little bit, and he recognized he, he was a better fit for college, and he went back and he stayed. Uh, how does Bill, Bill O'Brien feel? College NFL? I have no idea.
2: It'll be interesting to see if someone comes call. And he did incredible work at Penn State and left a pretty full cupboard for. Uh, uh, for James Franklin, and James has been awesome, of course, there. Brad, great to get caught up, man. Miss talking to you. Thanks for a few minutes today.
5: Alright, thank you guys. Take, Take care. care.
2: Good stuff, Brad Edwards. We'll uh, hear more from Husker defensive lineman Ty Robinson shortly. And uh, El Walgamot. we will hit on some Van Halen. Hail Varsity continues. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Hale Varsity back with you, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. No money for Eddie Van Halen. He just wanted to kind of jam with Michael Jackson. Kent Walgamon, about five minutes away, he got to kick it backstage with uh, Van Halen. Kent will... Have some stories, man. So he's covered up, as we remember, Eddie Van Halen. Some more thoughts on Nebraska football. Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Been focusing on Ty Robinson. He was part of the the players that were made available yesterday by the great folks at Huskers uh, Sports Information. And, you know, Ty Robinson one of, is one of those names, right, that, that we're excited about if you're a Nebraska football fan and the the fact that he's been cross training a bit, you got nose guard, you have defensive end. He's bulked up, He's a high level recruit. He's a guy that Nebraska beat out, some some big name schools. We're talking Alabama, we're talking Wisconsin. I mean, go down the list kind of the who's who. Uh, and Nebraska won that fight. And you saw some good things in limited action against some big-name opponents, right? I mean, Ty Robinson's going to need to have good games and a good career, quite frankly, for Nebraska to climb the, the, the ladder in the West against the Minnesotas, against the Wisconsin's, against the Iowa's, against the Northwestern's. Go through the West, and then when it's time to hook up with Ohio State, when it's time to hook up against Penn State. I mean, those are... Those are the reason you go get a Ty Robinson to go get after the quarterback and stop the run. And this is a little bit more from Ty Robinson uh, on last year and what needed the, to happen for him, not only with a few reps in-game action preserving a red shirt, but it just brought the reality that much closer to him about what it takes to play in the Big Ten.
6: It finally made me realize I wasn't in high school anymore, uh, you know, playing against these grown men. And I also realized that I can't really rely on my talent anymore. Uh, It's a lot more technique and knowing what's going on and what's going to happen. So um, it definitely helped me open my eyes up to see the bigger picture of what I needed to get better at.
2: Grown-ass men (laughs) I'm playing against. Some may have minivans in a family. The other part of this is – I could just roll people in high school. And I played against really good high school competition. But man, oh man, it's not just that I may be bigger, stronger, faster than the next guy. What do I add to my craft, right, to be that much better? And it comes down to technique. It comes down to leverage. It comes down to hand placement and footwork and the recognition here. Uh, There's been some pretty key guys to take uh, Ty Robinson under their wing to help kind of lead the way, show the way, and uh, Ben Stilley's uh, a big part of that group.
6: Every day we've been watching film after practice and he's um, kind of helped me understand from like why I should do this technique over this technique or why I should make this decision over this decision. And then, uh, like I said earlier, just knowing, knowing an offense, uh, knowing how to cheat alignments or knowing where to go uh, is a lot better. So he's definitely helped me heighten my, my football IQ.
2: So that's some kind words about Ben Stilley. IQ's gone way up. Confidence level's there for a Ty Robinson. And uh, weight room work with Coach Duvall. Clearly, uh, it's so key to have a guy like that, a strength and conditioning head man. And then Damian Jackson and Chris Walker, both guys that are going to push you to be uh, to be the best and they're great teammates um, in, that, in that, that weight room. One last thought here before we get to El Kent. Uh, Casey Rogers uh, is a guy you, you've been waiting on, and he's a guy that could really maybe show some things. This season, Uh, you had Ty Robinson asked about Casey's progress. Maybe he could have a dynamic duo with those two for years to come.
6: Yeah, so Casey's also one of those guys that have uh, joined me and been watching film every day. So I feel like me and him have been building a great chemistry together. And me and him have kind of been going through this learning process together so we can step up when it's our turn. Um, but I mean, yeah, me and him, like he's just a great player. He's, I mean, his pass rush ability, he's gone a lot faster, a lot stronger. He's finally understanding the, the game of football like it should be done with, his, uh, with reading the offense, knowing the defense very well, knowing what he can and can't do. Um, he's, all, like, he's also made a very big jump I would say, in the weight room as well. So everything's just been going up for him.
2: It's about making those gains and uh, having the confidence. I say confidence again, and we'll see what can trot out on the field on that front uh, group. Coach Tuioti, very happy with the progress they've made, and you're going to have some depth, depth you haven't had for a long time. Let's get to uh, some uh, thoughts on Eddie Van Halen. We welcome in, uh, with the Journal star, L. Ken Walgamon, friend of the show for a lot of years. L. Kent, man, you got up close and personal with the Van Halen crew. In Diamond, Dave, I got about five or six minutes. I wanted your take on Eddie Van Halen, not only covering music as long as you have, but seeing countless performers. and uh, Just reflect on Eddie Van Halen for a minute, if you could.
7: Sure. Um, I think that, the well, if you ever saw him, he was unbelievable player you know and um this morning um i heard uh, vernon reed who is the guitarist in uh, living color oh sure call him call him the people's virtuoso <laughs> which i thought was about the perfect description and and you know he i i wrote this is going to run I I think on Friday in the paper, maybe online already, I wrote, there's only a handful of people that you can say changed music by coming up with something new and inventing, you know, technique and style and all of that, That just before and after, right? Eddie Van Halen is one of those, you know, by, and what he did was in the, you know, in the 70s, he he sort of threw out the blues bass rock guitar, right? Jimmy Page, all those guys, they were really playing blues bass guitar and came up with this whole other thing that then created thrash and it created, you know, the hair metal kind of stuff that came after and and comes all the way through rock to today. And it's really just a before and after. And the other thing that, that, that I point, I, I try to make in that piece, I, I talked some about, you know, there some performance. Van Halen played in Lincoln two times that I could find in 79 and 80, and then they played Omaha several times. Um, but the thing that I, I, I tried to point out in there was the other thing that, that Van Halen did as a band and Eddie part of the band. And if you ever saw him, you know, he has always had this like impish grin on his face. Right. (laughs) And, and jumping around and, you know, he'd stumble around the stage and act like an idiot, you know, right up there next to the clown prince of rock and roll, good old David Lee Roth. Well, those guys brought fun back to it. In the seventies, it had gotten really kind of serious or dull. Or both, mm-hmm. right? And and they brought it back. And you can't. I mean, you throw all those things together, and you're not get. It's a one of a kind deal, you know. I I don't like to compare. Oh, this is the greatest guitarist I ever saw, or anything like that. But you got to put him in the same league in there, like with. Stevie Vaughn, who was a friend of mine, and, and, uh, and Hendrix, and, you know, these guys, that, and, and Eddie changed it all, and it sort of, that band in, you know, in 1984, let's say, 1983, 1984, 82, 83, 84, right? Maybe even late 70s. They were the best band on earth, period, period, and, and, they sort of set a standard. I uh, another another guy I heard uh, yeah, Tom Morello from, yeah, from Rage, uh, Rage Against, Against Machine, the Machine huh? said today uh, that uh, if you were to pick one band that had to defend the earth with their show, <laughs> he'd pick
2: Van Halen nineteen eighty two. That's so good. You you got. I mean, you were close with with David Lee Roth and and Van Halen, correct? I mean, you you were able to to be around at least David Lee Roth for a while, correct? Did he ever talk about Eddie at all, or did Um, did you go there?
7: Not really, and in part because when you're talking to Dave, you're Mm -hmm. kind of talking about Dave most of the time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, brother. (laughs) That makes a lot uh, of sense. I did meet eddie uh
7: well i i I met him a couple times, but mm-hmm. i you know I got to talk to him a little bit um up in omaha uh and I cannot for the life of me remember if this was before or after a show mm-hmm. but but he was absolutely the nicest guy you i mean that's his reputation right mm-hmm. that he was this really sweet, nice guy. Absolutely, the nicest guy that you would ever want to talk to, and and pretty self-effacing, you know. And like I'm just a rock and roll guitar player, kind of, you know. He would didn't want to talk that kind of talk. But I heard a story today and saw the pictures to verify it. Last year or the year before, uh, a guy's friend had cancer, mm-hmm. and he somehow found a way. To connect with uh, eddie 's wife okay. and was asking you know can we can we do something what whatever well he gave it, he did a a Skype call or a zoom call mm-hmm. with this guy with cancer, spent an hour on wow. zoom, carried his phone or iPad or whatever around, showed him all this stuff in the in the house sent him a ton of stuff. And then, you know, Eddie had cancer himself at sure. the time, right? And and did all of this. And then the guy died on the same day, or died a day or two before a Van Halen concert. And their funeral was on the morning of the concert. Eddie invited all his friends backstage, gave them all this stuff, hung out with them, blah, 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 brought them to the show. You know, I mean, that... That's a side of, of these people you don't really ever see, but that's everything I'd ever heard about him, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's, you need to note that, too. It's a, I mean, and he's 65, you mm-hmm. know, that he's was amazing. that relatively young, uh, but, you know, you do know that, that he was fighting cancer for almost 20 years. Yeah, he battling. And that another thing that you don't, you know, I mean, I don't know if admirable is the right word, but good Lord, you know, I mean, he fought it off and they were able to come back a few times. And, you know, I, uh, I, I, I will say that I wasn't 100 percent shocked that this had happened. Um, my uh, this viral time has got me. My time's all confused. Sure. But I think late last year, uh, it was when Dave had his residency in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. He was quoted as something along the lines of, now it's up to me to preserve the legacy of these songs. And everybody went, what? Yeah. And then... And then he wouldn't say anything else, notably, well, we now know why he said that.
2: El Kent Walgamont reflecting on Eddie Van Halen. El, we'll do this again, brother. Thanks for giving your expertise and insight to this day. I appreciate you jumping on, bud.
7: Anytime, friend. Talk to you soon. See you, bud.
1: He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Bar City
2: Radio. I got the body of a hot pre-teen Swedish boy. Back with you, to Hail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A jock Doc Wednesday. We welcome in Dr. Brandon Seifert. Dr. Brandon, good to get caught up. How you doing?
8: Yeah, I'm doing great, buddy. Doing great. Hope you guys are doing well.
2: We're hanging in, and some of us fantasy owners uh, got uh, not only a punch to the jaw, but a punch to the ear with Nick Chubb. I'm counting myself inside that circle as the uh, the Browns <laughs> star is now on injured reserve to the sprained MCL, could sideline him six weeks. But Chubb says, I'll be back soon enough. Let's kind of go into what happens when you had a defensive tackle uh, roll up on a knee, and it's so common in the NFL, isn't it?
8: Yeah, it's so common, yeah, so common. The NFL, all levels... Uh, probably one of the more common injuries you see, especially for our running backs and even our interior linemen as well, rolling up on each other. Uh, but essentially what you think about um, in terms of you know injuries from that perspective, we see a lot of knee injuries. So if you think about somebody rolling up on the outside of your leg, what that does is that forces that knee to the inside with the foot still planted on the ground. And that ligament on the inside part of the knee called your medial collateral ligament. That's the ligament on the, on the very inside part of the knee, obviously separate from the ACL. That ligament gets, stretch, the further that knee bends to the inside with that foot planted and then obviously from there you have kind of different grades of injury to it whether you just barely stretch it you know, knock out maybe 50% of it versus it taking the whole ligament out. Um, and that's typically what happens, what happens in that scenario, and obviously it's what happened to Chubb. I didn't hear exactly what his grade is, but if they're thinking six weeks, he's probably in that middle grade a grade two. Other things we worry about with that injury is either have the force go through the knee at the top, or you have the other injury where the foot actually, the knee kind of stays stable, leg keeps rolling in, and the foot kind of externally rotates or moves to the outside with the heel coming forward to the inside. And you get what we call like a high ankle sprain, which can even turn into a syndesmosis injury versus, you know, fracture. And that's the other thing we tend to see when somebody describes getting rolled up on. But as you go back to to Chubb and his injury, yeah, they're looking at six weeks. Uh, We've talked about this before, just in terms of grading these things. It's a pretty simple scale. It's a grade one through three. Grade one means you just kind of stretch a little bit, but everything's nice and solid. Grade two is where you start to stretch about about 50% of the fibers. So there's a little bit of looseness there when you feel an MCL, but it has a nice we call endpoint. It stops when you're testing it. Grade three, of course, when you kind of knock the whole thing off, and that's how the grading scale goes, which is helpful for recovery. Um, and typically, with recovery, a grade one injury, those folks will be back within anywhere from one to three weeks. Grade two, kind of three to six weeks, and then, or excuse me, grade two, three to six weeks. Grade three sometimes takes several months, and could even mean surgery from that perspective.
2: Talking Nick Chubb on our Jock Doc today. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. And Chubb's had his share of knee issues. you got to go back to 2015 at Georgia. And he tore three ligaments in his other knee, his left knee, a PCL and MCL. And in the LCL, he also dislocated the knee and suffered cartilage damage at didn't wear him out though he ran for a thousand yards the following year with georgia so how can uh how can going through a previous experience and he had the hat trick it sounds like help him with this rehab if we're talking just a sprain it's serious but it's nothing compared to what he went through five years ago yeah,
8: absolutely. You know, again, that was my big question. I think this was on the opposite side of the previous yeah. injury, so, you know, it should be a much shorter course. It's, again, amazing that he made it back and that other just devastating injury, especially if you looked back like at some of the pictures when that happened. And so, fortunately, from this perspective, you know, I think he's going to do really well. It uh, wouldn't surprise me if he might beat that timetable a little bit, maybe get back in four and a half, five weeks perhaps. Um, but I think he'll do well, and this should be, a,
2: you know, a really good recovery for him and, and good in terms of long-term prognosis. Let's talk about effects of a sprained MCL and what, what does that limit uh, when it comes to, to the Nick Chubb we're used to seeing. How he hits that hole, how he's elusive, and he's really got a great combo of speed, shake, and he's got that power. I mean, he's a great kind of uh, three-fold back, but what, what part of that knee affects part of his game when he carries a football?
8: Yeah, you know, really it'd be that kind of cutting kind of to the inside. So as you would plant that, that leg that's injured, as you would plant that to the outside and then start to shift the other direction, that's when you would start to see that force a little bit. Um, But same concept, if you're basically, you know, if you go to plant both legs and cut back the opposite direction, that would bring that knee to the inside. We call it a valgus force which would then, you know, put extra stress right over that leg it would be so really it's more kind of that lateral mobility is where we'll see that with him. It might change a little bit of the shiftiness when he comes back. Um, and then from a straight ahead, you know, perspective, usually they get their speed back pretty quickly. Uh, the big issue there is that this is obviously one of those areas that's pretty easy to retweak during the season. Um, you think of a guy like a Rex Burkett had a similar deal happen to him. Um, pretty easy to kind of retweet this thing as, as life goes along through the season. And so that'd be the thing to have to kind of watch out for him when they do put him back in there is it's obviously an easy injury to retweak for basically that first kind of four to six weeks that you're
2: back you know that's a that's a great comparison because i think a lot of nebraska fans remember the 2012 season with rex how he was tearing up ohio state on the road and then here comes that that re-injury uh that that kind of threw things into a tailspin that game offensively uh, post-wrecks, if, if you remember Ohio State covered uh, that night in Columbus uh, Dr. Brandon Seifert with at this Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday we're talking Nick Chubb and his sprained MCL so you look at Cleveland and the, the success they've had and uh, uh, they, they are they are the just ultimate one-two running back bunch couple of final thoughts here Dr. Brandon with, with Chubb and we've talked about both knees um, as far as the, the, you've laid out the timetable, now I'm interested here in the rehab process. What, what steps is he going to be going through from, from A to Z to get back?
8: You bet. And so this is one of those that you want to be really pretty aggressive with early on. And so, you know, he's already in a rehab program working on his range of motion, really staying aggressive with getting his quad strength back. Um, In terms of, you know, giving us a little bit of a break, they'll kind of hold off on any agility type stuff, lateral shifting, cutting type stuff with him for probably about that first two or three weeks. It'll really be just kind of a range of motion quad building program. And then after you kind of get to those first two or three weeks, this is feeling pretty good. Then they start to hit him with some of that kind of easy lateral cutting shifting uh, type training Um, the other thing here that'll be important is that these injuries do respond pretty well to using a brace and so I would definitely expect to see him in some type of MCL stability type of brace uh, that he'll use probably throughout
2: the season with a brace is that more mental or is it a a physical ailment that, that can slow a guy down
8: yeah, you know, good question on that. So this is one of those areas where braces are fairly effective. In fact, this was the one injury where an older study showed that braces can be you know, impactful or helpful in terms of help preventing further injury Um and even maybe prevent, preventing an initial injury, that study has kind of later been a little bit disproven. But at any rate, um, braces are, I think, are helpful it can give a little bit of protection once you have the MCL. Same thing if you don't have an MCL, a little protection, especially as an interior lineman. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really helpful with braces on knees is just having that brace kind of on all the time, those first couple of weeks, does take some pressure off that inside of the knee. And so there's, there's thought there, although not proven all that well with studies, that, that does give a little bit of extra rest to that. MCL might maybe speed up the recovery time, um, but probably not, you know, significantly that has been studied.
2: Dr. Brandon Seifert, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. The update on Nick Chubb, his sprained MCL. Dr. Brandon, we'll talk again. Thanks for a few minutes today.
8: Ah, You bet, Chris.
1: You guys take care. Miss us. Come here,
0: brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing.
1: We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at hailbarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio.
2: One final time tomorrow on the show, we are going to have Brandon Vogel and Gary Barnett. We'll hear from Coach Frost and probably Super Mario and coach Redusco is going to give us the lowdown on the on the quarterbacks which will be great. So how did the talk go? I saw the write up on halvarcity.com the uh, infamous 6th anniversary of Butch's false start. I got a nice note about my dad from from Butch Jake Cotton, bless his heart. And you uh, you know, he's he's ticked at me a little bit because we had to bump him for a recruit and and he lets me know that this was during the summer. And then he annihilates me when I'm gone. So I need to I need to make up with Butch. You need to buy him I don't know some some bush light or something and send it <laughs> to him. But the long and short of it is is you had enough gall. We'll say gall. I guess from one southeast lineman to another, you're calling him up and saying, Hey, why don't you jump on the show and let's relive uh, East Lansing 2014.
0: Yeah, I said specifically, it's a six-year anniversary of a very infamous play you were involved in. <laughs> I, led, I led with that. And I was like, and he's, and- any chance we could talk to you today? And he said, I'll come on one condition. He said, you have to put Kirk Herbstreit's Call of the Play over One Shining Moment. Oh, no- nice. So I did it, and it was terrible. The only Call of the Play I could find was off this terrible YouTube video of someone just, like, filming their TV. <laughs> ESPN had taken it down, <laughs> and it was just the worst thing ever. And he said, do you still have it? The uh, uh, I don't think so. You deleted it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, he said, "Uh, I sure people aren't still talking about that in six years," because <laughs> it, it it was a gaffe on my part. But he, I mean, I, Butch had the mullet and the stash going. I, I have at least a stash going this summer. I had never had the balls to get the uh, the full mullet mm, going.
2: Right, right, right.
0: But I'm thinking about bringing bringing the stash back for football season.
2: Whatever you want to do, man. Um, <laughs> and I will even limit the commentary on facial hair. To once a week.
0: I'm thinking the mustache could be good luck for the Huskers this season. Why not, man? Go I, for it. It was good luck for my Denver Nuggets all through the bubble. And I shaved it, and we lost to the Lakers.
2: Well, so. no, of course. That's why you lost to the Lakers. The only reason why. So, yeah, and check out our friends at, at Herd At Media, man. Uh, just incredible podcast. Uh, Greg Smith and Jay Foreman are rocking. Of course, Derek Peterson, Dr. Petey's got the Hale Varsity uh, podcast going we uh, we post every day on hail and itunes which is great uh chic and nick is just fantastic and uh, nick Baugh podcast so awesome awesome content uh, of course uh sasha and, and aaron Sorensen. so man it's it's just loaded it's good stuff for you uh walking around going to the gym or just Unplugging and wanting to hear some some good content. Reminder about moving in 2020. And what's awesome is this uh, next week's three-year anniversary of moving into our house. The only regret, uh, West Blue. I should have used West Blue Realty. Not that moving was bad, but it could have been pain-free. And it is that way with West Blue. When you're looking for a, a move, West Blue Realty specializes in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities. And uh, you mentioned Hale Varsity can save up to $1,000 on the closing of your next home purchase. Give Tom Luby a shout, 402-540-3768. Or Kelly Hofschneider, Kelly's fantastic as well, 402-202-2312, westbluerealty.com. Back at you tomorrow at 4 on Hale Varsity. Thanks.